0: You're listening to the Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The Togetherings are recorded conversations with Alaskans from all walks of life, sharing their perspectives on big questions that touch us all. Each series shares a common theme that is explored across episodes.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. My name is Amanda Dale, and here with me today is Simonetta Mignano. Hi. Hi, Simonetta. The Togetherings are a series of three conversations, and each series focuses on a different theme explored from Alaskan perspectives. Created in collaboration with Native Movement, intersectional Indigenous identities. And in today's episode, we're going to look specifically at navigating diverse identities. Okay, Simonetta, if we have folks who don't know about Native Movement, could you introduce them for us?
0: Yes, uh, Native Movement is an organization dedicated to building people power rooted in an indigenized worldview towards healthy, sustainable, just communities for all. Native Movement supports grassroots-led projects that dismantle oppressive systems for all, an endeavor to ensure social justice, indigenous peoples' rights, and the rights of Mother Earth. Before we start uh, our conversation today, uh, let's take a moment to acknowledge where we are in Anchorage on the traditional land of the Denaina people. Thank you, Simonetta.
1: And we are really pleased to have two guests with us today who are going to help us open up and deepen this conversation about navigating diverse identities. Connected on the phone with us, we have Lynette Fam. Hi, Lynette. Hi. Nice to have you with us. And we have Kuthlik. Hi, Kuthlik.
2: Hello, hello, hello.
1: <laughs> Welcome to both of you. Um, we would love to start out by learning a bit about who and who you are and, and where you're from and your connection to this topic today of navigating diverse identities. Um, Lynette, would would you mind starting us off by sharing a bit about yourself and and your story? Yeah, hi. Um, I would feel more comfortable if um, the elder went
2: first. go okay. work. Okay. My my village is about twenty three point five miles on a heading of two seven two out of Bethel, uh, heading west, and so it's it's it's. A, it's a ways back in the thunder, a place called a small shop, And um, that's kind of where I started out my life. I was born here, but then went to the village and spent probably a good uh, four or five years getting started out there. and So my, my first inkling of, of the world that I was born into was very much, um, you know, just, quiet little village. It was really super populated with like 45 or 47 people. So, you know, to me that was like really big. I thought that was really big. <laughs> um, uh, and then, you know, back in those days, um, they had something called Ningnauk or, uh, like you, you know, you're intended or promised to marry somebody or arranged marriages. Or I don't know if you guys heard of that, but it it, it, it was ongoing back in those days. I was told that I was going to go meet my mate. <laughs> uh, I was like five or six years old. And, you know, of course, as a child, uh, I didn't know what all that meant. I, I just, Knew that I was going to go meet somebody new in a, a really big village, place called Monte and uh, or what people call Bethel now, and it was huge because uh, there were like 600 people there. And I thought, man, this is going to be really something. And, uh, you know, we took off down the river, blasting down the river full speed at six or seven miles an hour, and you could barely even breathe with that. Kind of wind blowing in your face, so uh, by the time we got there, I was I was pretty out of breath <laughs> because it took forever
3: <laughs>
2: uh, to get uh, you know to get anywhere at those kind of blasting speeds. You know, and as I pulled up to the beach, you know, the first thing I, I seen was uh, these huge, really huge, white looking. Containers. I don't know what they were at the time, but it turns out they were um, the stove oil or the uh, gasoline, big, gigantic uh, containers that contained thousands and thousands of gallons of of, of, uh, stove stove oil and gas. So I saw those first, and then right as we got closer, because they were so big, you know. Uh, a couple of those things were like the size of my village. <laughs> and then I seen this little figure on the beach standing there smiling. And uh, I, I met uh, my, my Ningalc, or my intended, uh, my And uh, she was beaming, like really smiling hard. And I, I just gravitated toward her. Um, they gave us a, you know, like a married name or a mated name, and we were both called Hush Hush. And and you know, we we didn't think about all of that. You know, we we just got to be good friends right off the bat. And you know, she took out her. Um, her little yarrowin, or what what people used as a story knife a long time ago, that was pretty special stuff right there. She took out her yarrowin and started drawing in the sand and talking about how our house was going to be and how many rooms there's going to be in the house. And as we were drawing, you know, we were right there on the beach, it just it just like that, you know. And, and then uh, I heard my mom talking and I turned looking I there was another lady that was there, it turned out to be uh her mom. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they were talking and sharing stuff and, you know, later on I found out that they were trading things, you know, to seal the deal, so to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and you know that was my beginning to to a new world. Uh, that you know, because I I moved away from the village at that point, and I was blessed enough to actually get that that moment captured. Somebody took a picture, and uh, you know that's that was pretty special to me because that's the first time I actually seen it because we didn't have mirrors <laughs> uh, where I was at. It was pretty uh, pretty old school at the time. You know, we had one generator that they turned on every other week. Uh, so we had actual electricity, which was actually primarily for the uh, the health aid. And they had these gigantic radios that were like six-foot-tall, really big radios that they used to communicate with the doctors in Bethel and, and, in, and in Anchorage. And so um, the world that I came from was, was really, uh, really simplistic. Uh, there was no telephones. There was no television. There was no tele-nothing. I mean, <laughs> we had, you know... String and sticks and whatnot to play with that became my little Evanrode motor, and so it was a different world. And then I went to this gigantic world of six hundred people, and it was just really overwhelming for me. Uh, and I was about to start school, and you know, and all that, and I was really scared. Because uh, you know there's all these different kinds of people. You know everybody not much. So they all looked the same. We're all the same. And then when I got to Montreux or Bethel it was you know all these different kinds of people. First time I seen somebody with uh, blonde hair, I, I, I freaked out because I didn't know what happened to them to make their hair look. Really eye-opening experience for me because that was the first time I heard the term half-breed. I didn't know what it meant, you know, but it was the way that it was said to me kind of caught my eye and my attention because they said it with a with a funny-looking face, which to me looked like they were angry or um, I don't know. They didn't. It it, it was uncomfortable you know when they said it to me after it i didn't know what it was and so i didn't pay attention to it at first but after a while you get kids talking to you like that and saying it like that enough times you, you start to catch on that you're different you know that's the first time i experienced the only to the only way i can say it now is uh you know, they are at me or they made me feel different and it's like racism and the way they said it was what kind of got me on that it's not a good thing to be something called a half-breed so, um, you know, and I didn't speak very much English at the time I was kind of bad at it uh, I still hate Dick and Jane and spot the dog and all that cause I was they were trying to teach me English, and I wasn't, it wasn't happening, you know, at that time. Eventually, they said it to me enough times that it started to hurt my feelings, uh, and I came home and told my grandpa, you know, I said, you know, and I was crying at the time. He, I, you know, and I was telling him, you know, so he could give me support that I was feeling pretty bad by then, and boy, he, he come on, dude. He got mad. He got really upset with me. And he goes, you know, and he was talking in our language. And he said, you know, I thought I taught you better than that. You know better than that. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be acting like that. You don't act like that just because somebody treat you like that and I and I, I went what? Wait a minute. You're supposed to be on my side <laughs> you're supposed to be you know I came to you because you're supposed to be I, I didn't say that to him first because I was too scared because he was upset but in my heart that that's what I was feeling you know I said and you know how do you mean he said I taught you better than that grandfather you know better than that to, to think and feel like that, just because somebody else treats you that way. And he said, And I said to him, but they're the ones that were doing it. How come you're scolding me? And he said, I'm, I'm talking to you because you are the owner of your feelings. They don't control your feelings. And what's that word they use? And I said, half-breed. He looked at me, and he got his face was really upset, and I was scared by then. And he goes, man, wow, it's like a, you didn't listen to me, what I was telling you. Look at yourself. God doesn't make half of anything. You are a whole human being. Only a lot of people think like that. He said, God does not make half of anything. Which half of you is which? And I looked at my body, and I realized he was right. It, a, there is no halves, no quarters, no thirds, and eighths. He made me a whole human being. He said, Kusup, you are a full-blooded yuk. I raised you like that. You are a full-blooded yuk. You are a full-blooded tungupuk, black. You are a full-blooded inkalip, mohawk. You have three in you. Never let me hear you come to me crying like that again. And that was the first time I realized my value. You know, and I didn't know that I was sumo black. I didn't know that I was Mohawk. It took that experience going through the bad name calling for me to identify and realize that I was given a gift to walk in three worlds, and be grounded and rooted in our culture. I still speak and dream in my language, in our language. And that began a journey um, that took me all the way to the East Coast, where I actually saw my family from that side, from my father's side. But I started out here, and it never left me. The tundra has never left me. The smell of the tea and the wet tea and the tundra, ayuk never left me. No matter where I was, I always thought about it. I could always point to home, and I was so homesick that I literally ran away trying to get back to Alaska from Pennsylvania. And, I, you know, of course, I didn't know nothing about it how far it was, and I just took off running, trying to get home. I did that three times, trying to get back to Alaska from Pennsylvania. But the tundra is, you know, it it was in my blood so hard that their muskrats look weird down there. They call them squirrels. (laughs) (laughs) And here I was hunting and killing up all these squirrels, and they tasted really good because their ptarmigans really tasted bad. Their ptarmigans, they called them pigeons. <laughs> and I didn't know nothing about that. I was just hunting, doing what I know how to do. And I caught up a bunch of ptarmigans or, or pigeons. They taste really yucky. <laughs> but the, the, the squirrels actually taste good until my auntie found out that I had been going down in the cellar and you know, cutting them and cleaning them down there, (laughs) doing my hunting thing, you know, what I know how to do up here. Uh, She found all these little furs in the cellar. And and the whole world down there was so radically different um, that I felt like I was on an alien planet, you know. I, I felt like I had gone completely off the earth, that I was in a completely different place that had cement and, everything was covered with with their with their world and and there were people red hair I never seen red hair before or what orange it's not really red it's orange I don't know why they call it red it's orange hair and uh you know at that time it, the the experience was so um foreign to me that um I had to touch, you know, I, I had to touch that orange hair. And then I, and then when they turned around and looked at me, I got really scared because they had measles. Man, that was even worse. That was terrifying um, because he changed color. He, he, that's the first time I ever seen somebody do that too. They, their face changed color. They got red. He got really red. And I'm like, whoa, what? What in the world? You guys can change their color like that. Um, And then that's when I seen he had measles all over his face and all over his hands. You know, I I didn't know there was such a thing as freckles, Um, but to me it was measles. And my grandpa told me about, you know, how measles devastated our people up there, killed off a lot of people. So I was really scared of him. That guy turned out to be the bully of the school, Charlie O'Donnell. And uh, he ended up being my friend after we had a good tussle and fight. That's the other thing. If, you, if you're a fighter, then they, they put you up. They shouted at you. And you know, I was so scared of him that I had to fight really good, Um and I, I ended up winning by accident because I hit him and run away and try to rub, rub off the measles off my hand because I didn't want to die. So it was a really different world I, I went to. And uh, I, I'm very thankful that I had that experience um, because it became a lifelong journey of developing ways to communicate with other cultures. I became so close to that Irish kid, Charlie O'Donnell, that they took me into his home and and basically adopted me. In fact, the first two times I ran away, I ran away to his house. And then when I turned 18, I went and lived with him. He was like a brother to me. Him and I were really close. It's just, he kept getting in trouble with this medicine. You know, we have medicine up here called uh, Dyson. It's a uh, stinkweed. But his kind of stinkweed, he'd be smoking it up like crazy. And I, you know, I couldn't get involved in all that because my grandfather told me to keep my body clean because your body contains your spirit. And if you let your body be dirty, then... It starts to affect your spirit. So Charlie O'Donnell and I walked together for years and years as a little boy. He became my best friend, my brother, even though he was different than me. And I, I started to learn how to interact with different cultures, you know, with the Mohawks and Blacks and and the Bessimps. And I, I, uh, I found out that if I became a good wrestler, you know, they, they put you really high up there. So I got into wrestling and martial arts and, and whatnot. And I lived a different life down there that was so radically different than my village. You know, in our village, we were taught not to fight, that fighting was not a good thing. But down there, they, if you fight down there, they, they uh, man, I, that Charlie O'Donnell, after I beat him up by accident, Everybody put me up on their shoulders and brought me to his dad. And I was just super scared. I was already crying. And he hugged me. And he goes, I hear you beat my son. Nobody beats my son. He's the the toughest kid and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what in the world? You beat up their kid and you go get hugged by their dad. It was a really different way of doing things, and I had to learn so many different things. So he was my guide, and I thanked him, you know, for for uh, uh, he got me interested. So In fact, I got really good at it. But uh, he, he he was into things that were not healthy, and I, I tried to pull him away from it because uh, I could see it was hurting his mind and his spirit. but He couldn't understand me talking to him like that. But I kept trying nevertheless. I kept trying all the years. I was with him as a buddy. I, I, that's, that was my initial right there. That was the, the path that I took. brought me to every village in the state of Alaska, seven, eight, nine, ten times sometimes. I'm still going back to the villages. Uh, even in COVID, I, I, I had people reaching out and asking to share that experience, even with the COVID going on, and I had to you know, be careful, because we are all part of each other. <laughs> I, I, I want to thank you for listening to this part. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody.
1: Thank you for sharing that with us. Lynette, what worlds do you walk in? Oh, okay.
4: Um as said earlier, my name is Lynette Sam. Um, I'm currently calling in from uh Tannagenet land and Fairbanks. Uh I am from Alaska. i on the illusion chain. What kind of world I walk in? Um that's a really that's a really big question. Um, I feel like I walk in many. Um, as someone who is multicultural and multiracial, there's just so many places and perspectives to learn and part of Ku Klux stories where, you know, he is talking about fractions and being half and part. Um, I used to think that you know, was an important part of, of understanding who I was, of knowing how much I am of this and how much I am of that, and it took someone who, who, who said something similar to what Kuplik said, is that you're not part anything, they are wholly a part of you, and hearing Kuplik say it, you know, reminds me that I need to always remember that walking, and, and so, uh, my mother is uh, Cebuano from the Philippines and Kanaka Maoli from Hawaii, and my dad is Vietnamese. Um, and so, all of those things are part of me. And um, both of my parents are immigrants from Philippines and Vietnam, and they met in Alaska in the fishing industry. Um, and I grew up on a fishing plant there. My Most of my life, I graduated high school there. I was raised there. When I think about it, I think of what an experience it was being multicultural, already having to learn my culture, um, in the American culture, in learning English, and also living on indigenous land. And that is the land of the Unamok people and learning their culture. I think living in rural Alaska, you do get the opportunities to learn about the land and the waters you live on. And ensuring that, you know, as I make friends, that um, all my friends were so diverse. They were from all over the world. Um, and and, that, and that, on that little island, because of something like the fishing industry and how we all could come together. Um, and I would consider an Alaska an immigrant like community. There are so many different kinds of immigrants, like my family, that I could meet, and I could, you know, some of my best friends are from that land, but also Panama and Belize and Somalia and the Philippines and Samoa. And I got to learn about all of these cultures growing up, and I got to learn about it. Um, and so our community was so diverse that I felt accepted within the community, you know, at school, there's other Filipino kids, other Vietnamese kids, but I didn't know anyone Kanaka, you know, the closest I could was from Tahitian and Samoan families and that cultures are so similar as the things that we eat, the way that we dance and, um, the where many of my close friends are a part of it. And, you know, that's their community. That's their land. And and growing up with them, also learning how to respect it the way that they're taught and also learning the way that they fish and their history. As long as me teaching them my history and, and the foods that I eat um, when we went to each other's houses. And for me, I really only experienced racism there within my own. Filipino community or within the Vietnamese community for not being whole, for not being completely part of that, or or my Vietnamese not being super great, or my, or not being able to speak Tagalog because I speak my mom's indigenous language, Cebuano. Vietnamese people telling me that I was just like dirty or not like whole enough and um, I don't understand their culture and I shouldn't practice certain things because I'm not whole and and then same thing with other Filipino people who weren't indigenous who like consider us still to be savages or uncivilized in the Philippines Um, and um, I guess to experience those things in, in rural Alaska was like I guess very surprising for me because I knew that those realities or those kind of stereotypes is, is are the things that my parents wanted to escape from. You know, they, uh, they're in some random community, and yet I'm, I'm still experiencing that kind of rhetoric in my small community. Um, and um, living in a community with you no know, Kanaka people just meant that I was never able to, to really learn about it or really understand it. Um, you know, uh, n- not, never in school, never with other people, um, just, like, on my own, and, you know, it's it's confusing um, having to learn so many things about all my different cultures and learning the languages, but also, like, you know, it's, it's fun to learn that much stuff, and it's fun to um, practice dancing within three different cultures or, like, practicing their languages, um but and I, I also get to eat so much food. I get so much different kinds of food from from my people and the people that live in my community and um and I have so much family. I have so much family around the world that I'm thankful for and it's endless. I wouldn't even want to begin to count the amount of cousins I have and I have so much ancestral land to, to visit and to love and to understand and I think that what comes out of it and what has formed me the most of living um all of these cultures and with all of these identities is just the perspectives I have. I just have totally different perspectives on life and the world, learning about and being a part of so many different cultures. Um, you know, and, and not just my own but like the community culture and the cultures of the people who lived all around me on the fishing plant Um, I think that has really developed to what I have and and the knowledge that I hold because the knowledge is from all of these people and all of the elders I have been able to meet from all over the world to teach me things and for that I'm very thankful
1: How is Lynette responding in this Political atmosphere and, and social atmosphere.
4: Yeah, thinking about the like the response of people trying to like delegitimize my cultures or like forcing me to try to pick one and be part of one identity. Um, you know, homogenize me or assimilate me to the cultures to like, I guess, white American cultures just colonialism, and and you see things like surveys and like things in the past like the census um and just filling out my checking the boxes for my racial identity um so that they know and people always asking me like oh uh, what are you and I feel like um it, it has come a long way for me before when people would ask me what are you you know I would give them the fraction amount but now I make people pay me um if they want to know um and I would I would say things like um all of this is is a part of me and it's a part of my culture and I think being a part of a community is also bringing your culture to the community um I'm in things like like a group of all different kinds of Asian people from from the continent of Asia, and um, none of us are the same. Um, we're different types of Filipino, Korean, um, Japanese, um, and Samoan, and, you know, we don't all understand each other's culture, and we don't all understand everything. I know all about the food. And also, it's because finding community means that being a part of the community is sharing your culture and getting and letting people know that part of you, and just accepting, you know, that people don't understand, but you will do what you can to understand their culture, and people will reciprocate that. And I also think living on indigenous land and um, the original stewards of these lands the indigenous people here like also it's vital to share our cultures with them and have them share their cultures with us and learn about their cultures in a non-extractive way and so that is being part of the community you're part of if if you live um, on Dena'ina land you need to be part of the Dena you need to learn about the Dena'ina community and support them and um, and now the political climate, I would say it has been hard for me to be honest about my racial identity, um, uh, with specific people, you know, um, because my dad is a Vietnam War refugee and seeing like Vietnam veteran hats, you know, for, for my dad after experiencing that um type of type of war and um and especially like learning about it in school and feeling like as the only Vietnamese person in this class and we're reading a story that romanticizes the Vietnam War through the American perspective feeling that i guess responsibility or like only sense of understanding that learning through American perspective and I, I think in, in those moments where we learning about the Vietnam War made me realize that everything everything we learn in school is, is from white perspectives because if a Vietnamese person like my dad would talk about the Vietnam War it would be totally different um, he wouldn't talk about his trauma being an American soldier he would talk about his trauma being a Vietnamese person living on his land, living in his village, Um, and white people coming in a second time to colonize the land for their own personal gain if they had gained anything. And I think that um, perspectives like this also leads me to, you know, respond to other things happening now, like the ice camps. And like um how how immigrants are constantly just told we don't belong, and um how they treat immigrants coming into this country, trying to look for safety and that is the experience my my both my parents had to um seek safety and um comfort in in their life and not having to be constantly worried about, you know, living in poverty or, like, the damages that America has done to their countries. And and so things like the ice camps is like, why, why could you, how could you do that? And it's the same, you know, thing as trapping internment camps and um, what they did to indigenous people and um, Filipino people even. Um, when we were first brought to America, they put us in in zoos. For entertainment um and um when i think about what's something that's happening and like what's happening in syria and um the middle east where there's constantly war going on like my people had to live through that and the aftermath of it you know even in the philippines with the wars there and like the current social political climate is is war in other countries and people not taking it seriously or or recognizing like how that impacts them and it's like well this happened in my country i i don't want to see it happen to other people refugees and um camps for safety it's like my people have already been through this and i feel like it is a response and a responsibility to speak up for them and to fight with them because um I, I can't remember this exact quote, um, but I watched a movie and it was about the Japanese internment camps and um, one of the the um, survivors said that um, we if we don't fight for the people who, the current fight, like the, the civil rights movement, or if you don't fight for um, other cultures and other kinds of people then, and and when they're all prosecuted and it comes to you there will be no one left to fight and I think that's like that's what's a really big part of being part of a multicultural identity is the constant fight for other cultures as well because that's your that's part of the responsibility and it's part of the it's, it's necessary um, because I think learning about culture um and learning about other cultures is part of like the preservation of other communities and places around the world sorry i I feel like i got into a large tangent of things but um i hope that that at least answers part of
1: the question it definitely does and uh i so appreciate lynette your honesty um, and these are important things that you are saying and, and sharing, and we hope food for thought for listeners as well. Um, so absolutely, thank you. It's hard for us to believe, but we are coming up on the, the end of time for this um, episode. And one thing we want to make sure to give space for is a closing thought from each of you, from you Kuthluk and from you, Lynette, um, this could be uh, a reflection, something you haven't said yet that you would like to. This could be advice if someone is struggling with um, some of these really big questions we've raised today. Whatever closing thought comes to you, we would love if you would share with us. And while you are thinking, I'll go ahead and, and thank some of the people who make this possible and then we'll come back to both of you for your closing thoughts. We want to make sure to thank um, listeners. Thank you to Native Movement for the collaboration on this series. Thank you to Out North Radio. Aaron is helping us with recording today. Um, thank you to Alaska Humanities Forum. And of course, to our two guests who we'll come back to now for closing thoughts. And then thank you properly Um Kuthlug, could we start with you? What's a closing thought you'd like to share today?
2: I I, I was just listening to the dialogue today, and uh, I'm I'm very much reminded
3: uh, that um, that my grandfather's words, um, uh, you know, he spoke them, you know, over forty years ago. And even though he spoke to them over 40 years ago, they
2: uh, resoundingly ring true. You know, even though he's been gone, you know, for a long, long, long time. Um, he told me, and I quote, you know, he said it like this, I said, It's funny,
3: that,
2: Our creator, he doesn't make mistakes. He said to me, everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to both the good and the bad. The fact that I'm repeating his words
3: is testament to to that very thing. I'm... I'm the product of a man who dreamt of a woman repeatedly.
2: He dreamt of this little Japanese woman with long hair running in a field of buttercups. And he could never catch her. He could see her face clearly. And he could get close enough to see her features clearly.
3: But he could never catch her. She was too fast for him. He joined the military and fought in Okinawa.
2: And when he got there, he didn't use his gun so much. He used his camera. And he came back with thousands of pictures trying to find that little Japanese woman with long hair in the field of buttercups. And he became really good friends with the people that we were fighting and killing over there. He even learned their language fluently trying to find that little Japanese woman. Well, when he couldn't find her, he was saddened and didn't want to return to the East Coast, so he got stationed in Elmendorf outside right there in Anchorage. At that time, back in the 40s and 50s, they were still trying to clean up the TB and all the diseases that were out here that were wiping out whole communities. And so being a medical tech, he was going around doing blood tests in all the little places around here in the cusco area. And he went to a place called Guise Children's Home and was doing blood tests there
3: in his second year out in the region from Anchorage, and he walked into the English classroom, and there sitting in the chair was that little Japanese woman with long hair, and he walked up to her, but she wasn't Japanese, she was Eskimo, or what
2: people call Eskimo. (laughs) He walked up to her and says, I found you. After how many years, I found you. You're my wife. And she looked, she could barely even speak English. She looked up at him, you know, and he was this tall man who was black and mohawk. And she goes, who is this crazy man? She's talking with her buddies. (laughs) Who is this crazy man? But he didn't give up. He would walk and swim twenty something miles to go see her. Run, swim, walk, whatever it took to get from Bethel to Christ children. So and after she graduated, I was born. So a lot of times our journeys that we go through that seem harsh such as war they're meant for a reason even though we can't see it right away and I wanted to share that because a lot of times my journeys that I've been through my hurts and my pains that I'm still going through I have to look past the pain
0: Kuyana Kuyana this is so profound and beautiful, thank you so much for sharing it's uh, really an honor for us to have you here um We have uh, a couple of minutes left. Um, I just want to make sure that, uh, Lynette, uh, uh, you have some space to share some closing thoughts um, that might be buzzing in your head.
4: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for for having me on the show. I really appreciate being able to share these things and and be able to speak about it and quite honestly, for sharing your stories and taking the time today and, and being such a good elder um you know roles like yours in our communities just mean so much and um, especially within our indigenous communities um to have our elders just means so much and i was so excited to to be able to have dialogue with you in this space as well as listen to more of your stories. You're, you're a real good storyteller. <laughs>
3: um,
4: and some of my closing thoughts are, um, especially to other multicultural kids and adults, is, is the emphasis that um, you're not half or part or quarter of anything it is a whole part of you. You are fully, every culture you are, and if you haven't been able to experience that culture yet, reclamation is also so important. Reclaiming your culture. Uh, that has that has been, you know, as Indigenous people, they have tried to take it away from us so many different times um, and and tried to wipe us out so many different times and I will say that it's up it's up to your time and it will be so healing for you to reclaim your culture and learning the languages by your ancestors spoke. learning the languages your ancestors spoke means that you can communicate with them better you can always communicate with them and being able to learn about the lives that they lived will will change you and it will help you understand your history so much more so don't feel afraid to learn more and ask questions and meet other people from your community and just tell them that you are on your reclamation journey and and you deserve that time no matter how many years it takes you no matter how much time that that, all of that will matter to the end and to our ancestors and into the lands we are from and that you are an important part of your community and and so that just means that we as multicultural people also need solidarity with other communities. Other communities like yours and communities that you belong to, like the land you live on and taking care of the community there and Fighting the fights that need to happen, and to ask questions that are not expected, but questions where you can learn, and you also can offer something to learn, and reminding yourself that things that Kuflik said is that your existence has a purpose, and to work on your purpose and. And even if you make that yourself and that we, we can go on from here and, and continue, um, even though times are hard, um, remember that all of these fights are for, for your community, our community and your family and everything you do for them matters.